0: Welcome to High cheese It's Friday, June 2nd, 2023. And with friends like these, who needs enemies? And I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy and his negotiating team with this whole deck cap negotiation. And I'm going to get really nerdy over the next five or ten minutes, but it's really important because this affects us. It's a slow boil. It slowly reduces our quality of life. And I'm talking about the middle class Upper middle class, lower middle class, working middle class. These decisions that happen in Washington affect our quality of life. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it's just a slow trickle. And I'm sure that those of you who heard my earlier podcast, I've told you that this has been going on for 40 years, at least. It's been the slow attack on the American middle class by a small set of bureaucrats, corporations, and politicians. And appear, it appears that McCarthy wants to reconstitute this uniparty with this decision that he made. So let's take a step back. McCarthy had the Congress, the Republican-led Congress, pass a bill that increased the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion and cut spending by $4.5 trillion. And I think it was to last a year. And what's the net result of McCarthy's great negotiating skills? We now have a debt ceiling of $4 trillion that was approved. So we now can add $4 trillion to our debt for the next two years. And it can go higher because McCarthy failed to put a cap on this. Now, the estimates are that it will be $4 trillion in additional debt, but it could go higher. And this is good for the next uh, two years, in January 1st, 2025. So how did McCarthy go from $1.5 trillion debt ceiling to a $4 trillion debt ceiling? What kind of negotiation is that? You're going backwards. And that negotiation has cost every American taxpayer on average $25,000. Just this past week, Congress has added $25,000 to every American taxpayer's bill. Now, you're not going to pay it all at once. You're going to pay it over a series of tax returns during your lifetime. And that's added on top of what you already owe in taxes. And this is never going to end unless it stops. So once January 2025 comes around, there's going to be another accumulation of more debt that's needed. And there's another $25,000 you and I have to pay on average. And it's never ending. And this chips away at your quality of life because it all comes out of taxes. So let's look at spending. So McCarthy promised $4.5 trillion in spending cuts. Well, he didn't get that. He didn't get anywhere near that. And I'm going to take us to a an article, and this is an article from NPR. NPR, National Public Radio, was pushing for this bill to pass. And that raised a red flag for me right off the bat. If NPR is for it, it's not good for you or I. And here's what they said. They said spending with the McCarthy-Biden plan would cut the deficit by $1.5 trillion over the next decade. Well, that's not a lot. Extrapolate that out. 150, uh, $1.5 trillion over a 10-year period is $150 billion. That's nothing. So instead of promising $4.5 trillion in reductions, we got $150 billion. And think about that. Think about the difference between a billion and a trillion dollars is significant. And remember this. A trillion dollars is $1,000 billion. So McCarthy increased our debt by $4 trillion. In a year-by-year basis, let's say it's $2 trillion. For example, the first six months of this Biden budget accumulated $1 trillion. We assume that it's going to accumulate another trillion dollars in the second half of the fiscal year. That's $2 trillion for this year. So in one year, McCarthy increased our debt by $2 trillion but reduced spending by $150 billion. That's nothing. You know what that's like? That's like someone coming up to you and robbing you $100. Give me $100. And then you know what they hand you back? They hand you back seven. dollars I hear $7, go walk away. I feel sorry for you. That's a good deal. You're taking 100 bucks out of my pocket. You're stealing $100 out of my pocket, but you're giving me $7 as a consolation prize, and that's what this is. This is nothing. This is like throwing a pebble in the ocean. You don't see it. It makes no difference. It's absolutely crazy. And the thing that really gets me is now it's come out that McCarthy wanted to extend... The debt sling for a two-year period for $4 trillion. Remember when he had everything passed? It was $1.5 trillion for one year. What happened in those de- negotiations? Did he get rolled? I don't know. It's probably a combination of both. But this, this is the problem with Washington today. And this is probably a lot of government officials at every level. These are not business people. They do not understand dollars and cents. And I'm a finance guy. I'm a government finance guy. I've ran budgets, big budgets. I know how to balance a budget. I know how to balance debt. And this is ridiculous. And I've always, throughout my career, would never, ever let an attorney or a politician negotiate any type of contract. Now, some places I work, they always the politicians always want to inject themselves. But you have to fight them off because they want a political decision. This is what we've had. We have a political decision going on in Washington right now. Now, does McCarthy want to reconstitute the Uniparty or even worse? And why did he do this? So we don't know. We don't know whether it's incompetence or not. But again, getting back to what I was saying about it, you never have attorneys or politicians negotiate contracts. I, I I like attorneys. I have friends of mine who are attorneys, but they're bad at numbers, most of them. They have a hard time adding two plus two. They are not finance people. And the politicians are the politicians. They'll always give you a political negotiation. Now, I don't think McCarthy is an attorney, and I don't think that anyone on his negotiating team were attorneys. But they were all political hacks. Like, for example, McCarthy's been entrenched in Washington for so long that he doesn't understand dollars and cents. He doesn't understand the impact of a dollar on an American citizen. It's all about getting the political decision made. And I'm sure the same can be said for those on his negotiating team. And then you have Congress. Congress is full of uh, lawyers. And again, these these lawyers don't understand numbers. They don't understand budgets. Some of them do. Some of them are good. But most of them aren't. And these people that negotiate, they, they're Washington insiders. They don't have you, your interest at heart. they do not my interest at heart. They want to cut a deal. None of them are businessmen. That's why I always think that we need businessmen in politics today that's why i believe trump is so effective because he's a businessman He cuts to the chase he understands where trigger points are he understands the value of a dollar and when you have a con uh, a congress negotiating a four trillion dollar increase in debt a twenty five thousand dollar increase in your tax bill over your lifetime just in this one transaction that happened over the past few days they don't have your interest at heart So right now I'm very suspect about McCarthy. I was willing to give him the benefit of doubt early on. But this whole thing is just a disaster. And you knew that it wasn't a good deal because more Democrats voted for this than Republicans. So this is a Republican-friendly negotiation when you had more Democrats voting for this? This is just another example of Washington chipping away at your quality of life. It's not going to happen overnight, but I'm sure you've seen it over the past 10, 15 years. Particularly with your kids. Are your kids going to have the same quality of life as you? Not with these yahoos in charge. And here's what gets me to, and this is all government math. And let me go back to this NPR article. And it says here, it's talking about the, the $1.5 trillion that are being saved. And, and this is how they got to the number. It says, Limit- limiting certain spending for the next two years will save an estimated $1.3 trillion over the next decade with another $188 billion in savings from reduced interest costs, according to projections from the Congressional Budget Office released on Tuesday. I just want to focus, and again, this is nerdy stuff, but this will affect your pocketbook. So let's focus on this $188 billion in savings from reduced interest costs. Well, you know what came out this morning? I get these newsletters from these financial operatives, from these financial institutions. And one of them came out and said, expect interest rates to rise. With all these bonds and notes that the federal government will be selling over the next several years, it's going to drive up interest rates because of supply and demand. And again, this is nerdy stuff, but I like it, but it's important to us. But what happens is with bonds, if you throw supply out and a massive amount of supply, which is the federal government's going to do because of this massive debt cap, it's four, expect $4 trillion over the next several months. Now, so all this $4 trillion in bonds that are going to be sold dilute the market. And because of the loss of supply and demand, you reduce the price of the bond. Now what happens with bonds, They, the price of bonds work is inversely Related to its yield. So, if the price of a bond goes down, its interest rate, its yield goes up. So, when you're throwing this massive supply of bonds that are going to hit the market to be sold, you're driving its price down and you're driving its yield up. And that yield means that, or at least the federal government has to pay higher interest rates to sell these bonds. And eventually, you get stuck with the bill because they come out of your federal taxes. And this continues to further the deficit down the road because as interest rates go up, The federal government's cost of bonding goes up, and then they need more in tax money. But McCarthy is just telling us that, look, he really don't care about the middle class, working class, upper middle class. cares about the corporation, the power structure in Washington, and the bureaucracy. That's what this is all about. And did I mention that more Democrats voted for this than Republicans? So we shall see. I know that there's talk about whether they're going to recall McCarthy as Speaker of the House, but I don't don't think the time is right yet. But for those 71 Republicans that voted against this debt ceiling, remember him. Remember what he did. So it now raises the question, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this vicious cycle? Of borrowing, increasing our budget, borrowing again to pay for the increased budget, and then increase the budget even more. We've got to get out of this. Now, think of the, think of the budgets. This budget that we've had that over the past several years under the Biden administration just a big blob. Whether it's the Inflation Reduction Act, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's the budget that Biden passed or Biden had pushed through with his democratically controlled congress last year it's a big blob it's a big blob that just keeps on creating debt and this debt ceiling negotiate is not going to stop this big blob from incurring more and more debt over the years unless it's stopped this four trillion at least we're going to encourage just until january 1st 2025 after january 1st unless we do something this big blob is going to continue to create more debt And something has to be done. And the problem is that the people in Washington don't want to address the real problem. And with that said, I want to take us to a clip. It's with Rand Paul. Rand Paul hits the nail on the head on why we have this problem. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Oh, before I forget, I just wanted to talk about Janice Yellen or Janet Yellen. The Treasury Secretary. She's a villain in this whole kabuki theater where you and I pay the price. Now, Yellen came out. She's the Treasury Secretary, and for the past few months, she's been trying her best to conflate the fact that if we don't pay a bill to a contractor or a vendor, that's the equivalent of us not paying off our existing bonds and notes. That's well, just flat-out wrong. That's just a flat-out lie. But she continued to push that. Continued. To create this crisis in the media, and the media was all too happy to run with it. But she created this false crisis that, oh, we won't be able to pay our debt. And it's flat out wrong. Right now, our debt service is maybe 10, 11% of our overall budget. And there's plenty of money to pay that. There's plenty of money that c- to come in and pay off our existing debt. But not according to Yellen. Oh, we can't do it. If we can't pay a defense contractor on time, if a defense contractor has to wait a couple of days, that's the equivalent of us not paying all our bonds and notes. And that's just flat out wrong. And I told you, you know, stock market was ignoring her. Stock market was going up over this whole entire process. Now, Yellen also follows this dangerous theory about government debt. And again, I'm boring you, but just it's nerdy stuff, but it's good to know. Forewarned is forearmed. So Yellen uh, uh, has this strange theory, and it has to do with debt, government debt. And quite frankly, I can't tell if she's insane or just incompetent. But she's got this theory, and there's a number of people with this theory, that, oh, debt doesn't matter, government debt doesn't matter, as long as it's a smaller percentage of the old, your overall GDP. Less inflation. And, well, guess what? That's only good as long as your economy is growing. And once your economy stops growing, it turns into a disaster. Now historically we've had higher debt, slightly higher debt to GDP and that was right after World War II. And what followed World War II was the biggest ex- economic expansion I think in world history. I think our economy went from 228 billion to 1.7 trillion between right after World War II to early 1970s but we had that the economy was growing you had the ability to bring in more tax dollars because your economy was growing but we don't have that today we're facing a recession we're facing marginal amounts of growth looking forward at best you know 1% 2% well that doesn't work Yellen's theory doesn't work when we have 2% growth or worse now we had a technical recession early last year well guess what your theory doesn't work when we're in recession Yellen particularly when Inflation remains sticky and likely would remain sticky during an economic downturn. And that's why, and it's people like Yellen that create this, oh, everything's great until it's not. And that's the problem with the world today. Everything's great until it's not. Because you got the media out there saying everything's great until it's not because they're covering up their own sins. Got these talking heads on Wall Street doing the same thing. You got every everybody, everybody in these institutions is saying the same thing. Everything's great until it's not and Yellen's part of that group. Well, guess what? That don't work. That don't work with most Americans. Most Americans know how to pay bills. It's not about economic theory. And running a treasury department is not about economic theory. It's about paying your bills and controlling your budget. All right, so with that said, let's go back to Rand Paul.
1: Our national debt now stands at about $32 trillion. How did we get here? Whose fault is it? Republicans, Democrats? Well, the answer is yes. Both parties are at fault for different reasons. Republicans come to this floor and will come to this floor today saying, we need unlimited military spending. And Democrats will come to this floor and say, we need unlimited welfare spending. And guess what happens? They compromise. People say Washington doesn't compromise. They compromise all of the time. That's what this debt deal, debt deal that's before us is, is compromise but the compromise is always to spend more money. How do we know that? The debt deal that's been crafted by Biden and McCarthy is an unlimited increase in the debt ceiling. See, historically, when we raised the debt ceiling, it would be $100 billion, or $200 billion, or, God forbid, a trillion dollars. It was a dollar amount. This debt ceiling will go up till January 2025. How many dollars will be borrowed? as many as they can possibly shovel out the door. It will be, how much money can you shovel out the door until January 2025? That's how much we will spend. Is there a dollar amount? No. How much can you shovel it out, and how fast can you shovel it out?
0: And Rand Paul is so right. Now, the estimates of the Biden-McCarthy debt agreement is that the debt will go up $4 trillion between now and January 1st 2025 but Paul makes a comment that look this is unlimited they could they can increase this 5 million, 6 million 10 million and that's what's dangerous about this and it's one of the cases that I hope that the projections are correct that isn't it terrible we're, we're hoping that it's only going to be four trillion dollars it's terrible what a terrible world we live in when we're hoping that we only incur an additional four trillion dollars in debt from now until January 2025. But it could be more, and that's what's dangerous about this. But let me get back to the crux of the problem. And Rand Paul is so good at simplifying simple problems. And our problem is over the years is that the Uniparty has always agreed between the Democrats that wanted increased social welfare spending versus the Republicans who wanted vastly increased defense spending. And if we want to get our debt under control and if we want to get our budgets under control— We have to look at both. Everything's got to be on the table, including defense. Now, I like defense spending. We need strong national defense. We need a strong army. I've got family and friends that have been in the military. I've worked with plenty of police officers that have been in Iraq, Afghanistan, and I understand the value of defense. But it is bloated today. Think about it. We've got Department of Defense hiring social equity coordinators who happen to be racist themselves. Spending money or wanting to spend money on drag shows at Air Force bases. You don't think we can cut that? And we've really not taken a look at the Defense Department and how it's run. And I think over 50 years. And I think we have to go back. We've got to go back and we've got to streamline the Defense Department. Cut spending. As well as some of our social welfare programs. I'm not talking about Social Security. I differ with Rand Paul. I think Social Security can be fixed relatively easy. That's for another discussion. But these other social welfare programs have to be cut back also. We just can't afford it. And we've gotten into this mentality, and I've seen the same mentality. People put out these budgets, they get lazy, they take your previous year budget and just add 3% to it, or whatever the inflation rate into it. And they throw it out there for the elected officials to vote on. It's not how to run a country. Because say, for example, your inflation rate is... Say 5% what it is today. Say it stays at 5% for five years. So now your budget, your defense budget or any budget in the federal government goes up 25% at least over a five-year period. Can we live with that kind of spending Do we have to start cutting back? And this is not what they're doing now. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, they capped the uh, non-military discretionary spending. Well, that's only a small piece of the budget. You need the entire budget the entire budget subject to caps now let's go back to Rand paul for a second and he's suggesting a balanced budget amendment so let's go to this clip real quick uh... we'll discuss for a moment and then move on to another topic
1: see there was a time when there was a conservative movement the conservative movement had a voice in washington there's still some voice but not much but there was a time when people on the conservative side of this said Well, in order to be a thoughtful, rational, realistic, strong response to the budget deficit, you would have to balance your budget in five years. In fact, we voted on a constitutional amendment in this body, and every Republican voted for it. But it said you had to balance five years. Why five years? Well, because most of the plans that lasted longer than that, most of the plans that balanced in like years nine and ten, We're basically somebody fudging the numbers and hoping something good would happen in year 9 or 10, but the only years they actually had any power over the first year or two, there weren't very many cuts. And they always had unrealistic expectations in year 10.
0: And this can be done. If the Republicans take over the presidency in 2024, take over the House and take over the Senate, something like this can be done. And this is why it's important for all of us to get involved, all of us to vote, all of us to demand from any candidate, what are they going to do with the budget? What are they going to do to control our debt? So we shall see. So Bud Light decides to honor a transvestite and put a picture of a transvestite on their can. They lost billions of dollars. Target. Target decides it's going to target children and push transgenderism on children with swimsuits for Children that tuck in their genitals so you don't have to see them. And what happened to Target? They lost $10 billion in 10 days. And I haven't checked what their stock prices today, but I think this will continue. Now, from what I've heard, there's been leakage at Anheuser-Busch into their other beers. The Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers decided that they were going to honor a group of transvestite nuns. Men that dressed up as nuns. And mocked the Catholic religion. And what happened, people came out in droves to voice their discontent. It was so bad that Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers in baseball, said, This is offensive. And what did the Dodgers do? Oh, and by the way, the Yankees are playing the Dodgers tonight. I hope the Yankees beat the hell out of the Dodgers. And what did the Dodgers do? Oh, they're going to have a Christian day. They're going to have a Catholic day. I don't think it's enough. I don't think you go to Dodger games. And Target has taken out their swimsuits and their transgender line from their stores. Still not enough. Anheuser-Busch, they can't give away Bud Light. And all I can say to the American people is keep doing it. You vote with your feet. Old economist, Tebot, you vote with your feet. That's what capitalism is. That's what democracy is. You don't like something, you don't shop at their stores. So where is this all emanating from? It's all emanating from people that have infiltrated our corporations that have been infected with this woke culture that's been being taught in our schools, and our colleges. And it's also a mentality of arrogance that a good chunk of these people that are Ivy League educated that think they have the answers for everything in the world and are so self-centered prideful, that they're going to demand that their will be pushed onto you. They will will that you succumb to them. And again, this is great Push back. Now, another area where this is emanating from, this mindset is emanating from, is the World Economic Forum, the, these globalists. These globalists and communists, they can't accept the middle class. The middle class is the biggest threat to them. We all know that communism cannot tolerate a middle class. And these globalists also cannot tolerate a middle class unless they succumb to their will. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to break the back of the American middle class, the American family, and American religion. And one of these cornerstones of this whole globalist push to create these company stores. Remember company stores... In the old mining days that these uh, towns were built and the miners that worked in the mines had no alternative to go to these stores that were owned by the corporation, the mining company. And they had to buy the, the products that the company said you had to buy and at the price that they said you had to buy it. And that's what they're trying to do to us here. You will have no choice. You will shop where we tell you to shop. If you don't like it, too bad. Well, guess what? A lot of blowback on this. And did I say keep it up? This is how you put them in your place. So let's get back to BlackRock. BlackRock. BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. They own over $8 trillion in assets throughout the world. And let's put this in perspective. That's 10% of the entire global economy. BlackRock owns 10% of the entire global economy. What they do is they buy stock in companies and they make themselves a large owner of these companies through their purchase of stocks, in most cases. And then what they do is they show up and say, you're going to do this. You're going to push equity. You're going to push social justice. You're going to push transgenderism on children and a lot of it comes from the own personal feelings of the people in power at BlackRock CEO of BlackRock is Fink Larry Fink what a perfect name for a villain Larry Fink so they show up at these corporations and they have a lot of power because they own a lot of stock in these companies they say this is what you're going to do if you don't like it, we'll pull your money out, our, our stocks we'll sell your our stocks and your stocks will take a dive so a lot of these companies acquiesce and Oh yeah, that's what, we'll do it. You know, we'll we'll push mutilating children. That's because you want it, BlackRock. And again, this is emanating from globalism, world economic forum. But we got blowback. So next time Larry Fink and his company goes into one of the companies that they buy and say we want you to do ESG, they're gonna say oh, wait a second, didn't work at Target, didn't work at Bud Light. And they're going to run for the hills. So these guys really just shot themselves in the foot. But it's because of the American people. The American middle class. The American family. Christianity. Everything that is the antithesis of globalism. Communism. And evil. Quite frankly. It's evil. A lot of these people are evil. And they're using their money and power to push an evil agenda. And we're fighting back. And all I can say is continue doing so. And it's a fight that you got to keep doing it. May have to shop somewhere else. But they'll get it at some point. Because what they would like to do is that you have nowhere to shop. You're going to have to shop at all the places. Because they all have transgenderism. They're all pushing transgenderism. Well, that ain't happening. Because once stock prices start tanking because of these policies. Ain't going to work on Wall Street. Ain't going to work with other stockholders. They're going to say, Larry Fink, screw you. You just cost a company billions of dollars with you, you pushing these policies on us. And for a while I'm at BlackRock, remember BlackRock, you know, and this is before the housing market became squishy. They were buying up all single family homes. They were in competition with a young couple trying to buy a single family home. And they were outbidding them because they had more assets. They were able to do so. And what were they, they were doing is they were buying up these single-family homes and then renting them out, giving these poor couples, just starting out on their life, trying to live the American dream, from owning a home. And that's what they want. They want a country just of renters, of people that just only shop at their store, and that will succumb to their will. That ain't happening today. So my kudos to every American that has been pushing back on this. And, and again, this, this is how dumb they are. Let's take a look at Bud Light. I think I mentioned this before. You look at Bud Light, the marketing manager. Oh, this is a great idea. Let's put let's put a transvestite on a can, Bud Light, And honor that person's I think one year anniversary of getting mutilated. And they don't understand branding. They went all through these great schools, study marketing, and they don't understand branding. And again, I've always said this: these people are not very bright. They toe the company line. That's all they know. They can't think outside of that realm so again my kudos to the american people and we shall see so it's pride month and this is to celebrate gays queers transgender people but my question to gay people is why have you not disassociated yourself with this transgender movement as a lot of my listeners know i don't have any issues with gay people But I always tell gay people, anyone that I know that's gay, is that, look, you can be gay, you want to be gay, that's fine. But you have no right to tell or force religious people to accept your way of life. That's where you get out of line. And I don't think it happens a lot today, but that's where the lines are drawn, as far as I'm concerned. But with that said, I want to know why gay people are not disassociating themselves with this whole transgender movement. And I mentioned in the past is that Gay people should naturally be against this transgender movement because if you ask a gay person, they say they're born this way. It's their nature to be this way. And that's an antithesis of this whole transgender movement because this transgender movement can say, ah, you can just physically change your body. You can mutilate your body and turn yourself into a guy or a girl, however you feel that day. But believe it or not, this whole disassociation between gay people and these transgender people is starting. And I want to go to an article by Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan's a political commentator. He's gay. He used to be the editor of The New Republic, which used to be kind of -of middle-of-the-road political magazine. And I want to take us to an article that he wrote a couple of weeks ago. And he's essentially saying the same thing that I said. The headline of the article says, The Queers versus the Homosexuals. Now, I guess he's referring to queers as the transgender people and homosexuals as gay people. So the title of his article is, The Queers versus the Homosexuals. We are in a new era, and the erasure of gay men and lesbians is intensifying. And he goes on to write the following. So the core belief of critical queer theorists is that homosexuality is not a part of human nature because there is no such thing as human nature and that everything is socially constructed, even the body. To be queer is to be dedicated to subversion, to mock conventions, to deconstruct language, to dismantle the human body, to defy nature, which is what gays and lesbians will tell you that their nature is. Some are conservative, some radical, some indifferent. Some gays are queers, but most aren't. And queers now run what was once the gay rights movement. So essentially this is what he's saying. This whole transgender movement, this whole furry movement, this whole I am what I think I am, not what my biological body tells me that I am, is counter to the gay and lesbian movement. And he's saying it right here. So this is a good start. So we shall see. There's legs on this. You know, I've known for a while, and what I've been reading is that there's a lot of gays and lesbians that want nothing to do with this transgender movement, because they do realize that it's mutilating kids. Now, before I go, I, there was just some breaking news. Apparently, Chris Ray is going to provide James Comer, the head of the House Oversight Committee... With that 1023, that FBI form 1023, which said Joe Biden was taking kickbacks while he was vice president. So originally, Ray said he wasn't going to get it. So, so Comer was ready to put Ray in contempt of Congress. So I guess it was announced an hour ago, late Friday night, of course, that Ray is actually going to bring the document over to Comer so he can see it and review it. Now, the question is, how much of it is going to be redacted, if it's redacted at all? But this is a win for Comer. Remember Ray originally said, ah, this doesn't. This thing doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Then he said, ah, well, maybe it does exist, but you're not going to see it. And then when Comer threatened to put Ray in contempt, Ray changed his mind. Oh, yeah, I'll walk it over. You can see it. I think he's going to show it to Comer on Monday. So we'll see where this takes us. And thank you for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday. Thanks again.